Amen. Would you welcome Steve Sobe as he comes to bring God's word today? Thank you, Pastor Pat. And it's, it's so good to be back. I've, this is my third time here, and I'm excited. I feel at home. And just walking around and greeting and just feeling the love from this church, it's good to be here. And I'm so, we've just been so blessed to have this church partner with us and sending down teams and to be so involved in our ministry down there. Um, my, my family, we were originally scheduled to all come, and we were all going to come, and, and some things changed in the schedule, so they're not here. It's just me. But I wanted to, I don't know if we can show the picture of my family. There is my beautiful family that I'm so proud of, my beautiful wife of 14 years, three months, and what is today? Uh, the 23rd, so, and 23 days. Um, we were married on January 1st, so it's always to keep, it's always easy to remember that. But um, Andre is now 12, Sophia is 10. Caleb is five, and, and Emma is one and a half, and she's just the cutest little thing. She's become a little parrot, and she just repeats everything you say. And, um, but, uh, you know, I want to introduce them because the truth is a lot of times as we travel and we speak, I'm usually the one that gets up and, you know, holds the microphone and speaks, but it's not just me who's a missionary. It's our family, and we're all down there serving the Lord in Nicaragua. And, you know, Caleb, he's five, but he's never had a birthday in the States. He was born in the States, and then we, we left before he turned one. And his dream is to someday maybe have a birthday in the U.S. Because he hears about, like, Chuck E. Cheese's and, you know, stuff like that. And he's just like, you know, someday maybe I'll have a birthday. But, um, but I want to introduce them, and I wanted to ask you a favor. I know it's going to be maybe putting some of you guys out a little bit. But outside those doors, those back doors, I have a little table with a handful of prayer cards that look just like this. And if I could ask you to, at some point after the service, to swing by there and just stop by that table and pick up a prayer card to remember to pray for us, we need your prayer support. And that's so vital to our ministry down there. And just like Pastor Bob was saying, you know, those that are back home are just as important as those who are on the field. And we need your prayer support. And we've seen God answer prayers all throughout the years, time and time again. And, uh, and so it means so much um, to have you praying for us. And so if you can do that and stop by that booth and pray for us, that would be awesome. But at that same table, there's a little uh, piece of paper you can sign up for our email newsletter and hear updates of, of what God's doing down there. And if you are one of the first 20, there's a little bracelet from Nicaragua that you can take. But I only have 20. And so if you're a 21st person, wah, 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 I'm sorry. It's just the first 20 people can grab one of those little bracelets. And, uh, and I, I haven't been doing this, but I just got this shipment of, of coffee from Nicaragua. And it is the best coffee in the world I guarantee it. Um, no money back, but I guarantee it just from the bottom of my heart um, that it's the best coffee. And I brought five bags of it with me, and I do not want to take them back on the airplane. And so um, normally they are $12, but I lowered it to $10 just to make it easy. So if you want a bag of fresh coffee that was just roasted like a week and a half ago, um, then, then you, there's only five of them. But I wanted to, um, this morning, just give you just a brief update, because I know this church has been involved with King's Castle uh, through the years now, sending teams and supporting, and uh, so just wanted to give you a quick update. We have been raising an army of young people throughout these years, and, and uh, now we have over 4,000 young people that are part of this ministry there in Nicaragua, and all over the country are doing outreach. We have over 160 teams that are part of this, and just seeing God use these young people to impact the nation has been so incredible. Last July, we did this thing, um, we called it a solathon, an almaton in Spanish. It's kind of an invented word in Spanish, but we did this thing where we just said we're just, just we're going to try to reach as many people as we can. We want to see if everyone is doing something, what can we do? So all these teams all over Nicaragua began to do all kinds of outreach. And they were, you know, invading 
the, the different communities. And there's just a couple pictures here for you guys. I don't know if we can pop those up, but just the, the teams were going to the marketplaces. They were going to the streets. They were doing personal evangelism, just putting themselves out and speaking to people individually. They were going out as teams. And little by little, we started getting the reports of what was happening. They were going out, like I was saying, they were going, they're making signs, you know, banners, um, going out all over the place, just sharing the gospel. And little by little, as we were getting the updates from this team and that team and from Esteli and Boaco and Leon and Chinandega and Bo- all these communities all over Nicaragua, we started getting the stats. And when we had tallied up the statistics for the end of the month of July of last year, I was blown away because in one month as a ministry, we were able to reach over 260,000 people with the gospel in, in one month. And it just showed our ministry, it showed me and it showed all the teams, hey, if we actually get out and do something, we can, we can impact this nation for Christ. And, um, and, and seeing the picture of, of those, you know, those kids making those banners, it reminded me, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but it reminded me of one of the testimonies that I had heard from one of our supervisors who said that they were out on the highway just holding up the signs as one of their you know, outreach methods. And one of the signs says, Jesus loves you. And there was this guy driving by on a motorcycle that that morning he was on his way to commit suicide. He thought there was no hope. No one loved him. He, and it wouldn't matter if he died. So he was on his way to commit suicide. He drove by and he saw that sign on the side of the road that said, Jesus loves you. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I love you. And he turned back around and he said, what is this sign you're holding what does this mean and right there on the street he gave his heart to christ you know those are the type of stories that impact and and, and make it worthwhile everything that we're doing and so i just want to thank you for being a part of the ministry thank you for sending the hakes tom and rachel and kirsten you know out of this church to come down and be a blessing to us they truly are a blessing and they've been serving down there they have such servants hearts and just to see how God is using them down there and the fact that God has called them there. They're not just there to vacation or to get a good salary. They're there to serve. And God is using them in incredible ways. And we can't do what we're doing down there without them. They've come down to, to lift our arms. And they've been such a blessing. And to hear you know, Kirsten's testimony, I know she texted us that same day. Just so excited. Because she was finally going to have some, some wheels. And instead of hitchhiking everywhere and, and trying to catch rides, she was finally going to be able to um, have her own transportation. But I wanted to, you know, I can, uh, all morning long, I can share um, testimonies. And I'd like to share some testimonies. But the truth of the matter is um, that this right here, the Word of God, is what transforms hearts. And so I want to share a word that God put on my heart for this church, for us here this morning. It's it's something that he's been speaking to me about, and I want to personally share that with you this morning because I believe that God has a message for us. And Pastor Pat had emailed me about about this mission's emphasis and the theme of of beautiful, beautiful feet. And I was thinking, you know, last week was Easter, and I know sometimes people come to church for Easter, and and sometimes there's people who come to Christ During that Easter time, and if you're a new believer, I'm so excited you're here because missions is the heart of God. And missions is for every single one of us. And if you are a new believer in Christ, you need to hear this message because we as believers need to be active. And as we're active in sharing our faith, then God fills us with more and more of him. And we can know him in a deeper way. We can know him better as we are used by him to share our faith with other people. But in Romans 10, I'm going to read this passage here. Um, Pastor Pat read earlier part of this passage. I'm going to read from 9, verse 9 to 15. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So if you have a different version, it might sound a little bit different. But it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him? If they have never heard about him 
And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. And that verse uh, is so meaningful to me because we are missionaries in Nicaragua because the Lord used that verse to speak so clearly to my heart years ago as we were praying about where to go as missionaries. And he brought that verse to my heart and reminded me of a little girl that I had met before we were, Kim and I were married. We were engaged, but I took a mission trip to Nicaragua, and I might have shared this story the last time I was here. I don't, I don't remember, but it's worth sharing again. Um, Kim and I were engaged to be married, and, and I was going to Bible school in Springfield, Missouri, and she, her parents are missionaries in El Salvador, so she called me up, and she said, Steve, you have to come on this mission trip my dad is taking. He's going to Nicaragua. And I had been to El Salvador several times. I had never been to Nicaragua before. And I was thinking, what's the big deal? Isn't it all the same, you know, Central America? And she's like, no, you have to come on this trip. It's going to just change your, your whole life. So, so I went down to El Salvador and we drove over on a bus, you know. At that time, it took 24 hours. Now it takes about 12 hours. But it took 24 hours to get to Nicaragua. And the next day, we got on a little plane and flew over to the other side of the country, to Puerto Cabezas. And then we got on a bus and drove eight hours to get to a river to get on a little oversized canoe that's about the size of, you know, two of these pews put together. And there was 20 of us on the little canoe with our backpacks and our belongings. And we floated down the river to get to different villages where no one ever went. They don't go to there because of that whole journey just to get there. And there's no stores. There's no modern conveniences. There's no electricity or running water. Nothing like that. But we went there. And one of the evenings, and I happened to have, I took a screenshot of an old video of, of, of this evening. But one of the evenings, it was my turn um, to share. And so I was speaking uh, to this little village there in, uh, along the Rio Coco, uh, in an area where they don't speak Spanish, so they speak mosquito, and not like mosquito, like It's uh, a whole another indigenous dialect, would be how you say, may God bless you. And, uh, and so we went there, and so I had to, you know, first speak, and then my father-in-law translate it into Spanish, and then the interpreter translated into mosquito, just so that the people could hear um, the, the message. But after speaking that evening, as we gave the invitation, a whole bunch of people you know, rushed forward. They wanted to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, but off to the side, there was a little girl. And this happened 15 years ago, but in my heart, it feels like it was just you know 15 days ago, because it was such an impactful moment in my life. This little girl came forward, and, and, and Kim went over, my wife, she was my fiancé at the time, she went over to try to talk to this little girl and found out that the little girl was mute. She found out she had never spoken before in her entire life. She can hear just fine. She can understand just fine. She just couldn't speak. And so my wife led her to the Lord that evening, and with tears in her eyes, she accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. But after that prayer, Kim said to her, Do you believe that Jesus can not only heal you on the inside, but he can also heal you on the outside. And the little girl shook her head. And Kim called us over, and we gathered around that little girl, and we began to pray for her. And as we're praying for her, all of a sudden we heard the most beautiful sound, the sound of that little girl's voice. And the first thing that came out of her mouth, the first thing ever that came out of her mouth was the word Jesus, which is how you say Jesus in Mesquito, her, her native tongue. And she began to say louder and louder, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And she was calling out on the name of the one who saved her, who healed her. But when Kim and I were praying about where to go as missionaries, God reminded me of that girl, brought that verse, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, to my heart. And he said, there's a whole generation of kids, Steve, in Nicaragua, who have never called out my name. But it's not because they're mute not because they're like that little girl. It's because they don't know me yet. And how true we have found that to be, that as I look around this room and see all these faces, all over the world there is a need. And this passage here, I want to break it down into three quick boom, boom, boom sections and three quick points. Well, I want to use three words to kind of drop them into your heart so that you can remember them as you leave. You can write them down if you want. 
or you can just remember them because they're easy. Sent, sent, and spent. Sent, sent, and spent. Sent. What in the world sent? What is he talking about? Penny? Romans 10, 14. But how can they call on him and save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? This communicates this need of the lostness of man. There are people out there who have not heard of the gospel. They are lost. They need to know Jesus. They need to know him. And Jesus, in Luke 15, he shared three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. The lost coin. And I don't know if you've ever lost anything, but in those parables, Jesus was talking about the lost sheep, how there was a shepherd who had 100 sheep. And one of them went away. So he left the 99 to go look for that one because he was desperate because one of them was missing. He talks about the parable of the woman who had 10 coins. The scent that I mentioned here. The 10 coins. And she's just tearing up her house looking for this coin with her lamp and sweeping the whole house looking for a lost coin. It didn't matter that she had nine. There was one that was missing. He talks about the parable of the lost son who ran away from him, and he he was so desperate to be with him again. And that communicates God's heart, that he cares about the loss. A lot of times we think, well, I'm good. My family's good. Praise God. We're good. We're going to heaven. I'm doing the right thing. But the truth of the matter is there is a lostness of man, and God cares about them. Do we care about them as much as God does? Because we need to. We need to look around and see our neighbors and our friend in Rochester and New York and say, this, this, this town is lost. They need to know Jesus. I need to be doing something because I need to be, be used by God because they're lost. And I don't know if you've ever lost anything, but a couple months ago, we kind of, as a family, we bought something that we had wanted for a while, and we went out, I went to Best Buy, and I bought an open box, so a little bit cheaper, Apple TV, and I was so excited. Brought it home, and about two days later, Emma, my one-and-a-half-year-old, somehow lost the remote. It was the kind that had the Siri that you can talk to, whatever. She lost the remote, and uh, I mean, I literally tore the house up looking for this thing, because we just got it. It was like two days old. And I'm tearing, you know, I'm looking for this remote. And I don't know if you've ever lost a remote before, but it's like this panic. Like, where is it? I wish they had like a homing device or whatever. You can ding it or whatever else. And I was so like frantic to find this remote. And I was thinking, you know, that's what God's trying to communicate in these parables. This franticness of I, this lostness. We need to be doing something. And the truth is that is God's heart. He cares about the people. He cares about every single one of these these nations that are represented, these flags that are hanging, the faces that you see. He cares about them, and we need to care about them. We need to have the Lord stir our heart. Sent, that coin that's, that's missing, the lostness. Sent, but this time with an S. Sent. There's a lostness, but there's an answer. Romans 10, 14, and 15, it says, And how can they hear about him? Unless someone tells them. And how will anyone go without being sent? There's two components there that work together. There's the going and there's the sending. But they can't happen without the other. They're working together. They work in tandem. The going and the sending. There's a lostness. And God sees that. So he responds by sending. And... And, uh, and as I was, um, you know, preparing this and studying this, I, I thought of the passage in, in Exodus 3 when it, it shares the, the calling of Moses. And I don't know if you've, you've read that story of whenever God calls Moses with the burning bush, but I love it because it just it is just like any single one of us. It's just like me. Because as God... And I won't read, well, I'm going to read part of it here. But, but basically, what happens is God sees the need. He sees his people in slavery. So he chooses Moses. He's going to send Moses. And I'm going to read this here from, in Exodus 3, 10 through uh, 14. It says, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt, or my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, and he said, who am I 
to appear before Pharaoh? And who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said this to Moses. Say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. The thing is, I don't know about you, but but me personally, Steve Sobey, when God speaks to me about something, I begin to look at my own lack of ability. Or insecurities, or I can't do that. There's no way that I can do it. You're calling me? And that's what's happening here. God says, Moses, go to the people of, uh, that are in Egypt. And Moses, instead of looking to God and says, yes, Lord, he looks at himself and he says, who am I? What are they going to say about me? What are they going to think about me? What am I going to say? And it's all about him. And God's like, hello? I'm the one who's sending you. And Moses still doesn't get it. He's like, but what are, what are they going to say? He just has this little debate with God. And the truth of the matter is God wants to use all of us. That is his, that's his divine plan and purpose. We're not here on earth just to occupy space, just to have a job, just to have a family, just to make money and spend money. We're here because he has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And he wants to use us. But too many times we keep our our focus on ourselves. We say, I can never do that. I'm not gifted like him. I can't speak like them. I can't act like, I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't do this. I can't. It's I, I, I. And God's saying, do you not understand who I am? I'm the great I am. There's nothing too hard for me. And when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we put our eyes on him, then we get it. And he gets glorified. This sending and this being sent work together. You know, we as missionaries, we are sent. We're there on the mission field. There's others who send us to get there. But both of them have to depend on God. I can't go there and say, Lord, I I can't speak the language. I don't understand the culture. I can't. I have to say, God, I'm trusting you that you're doing, you're going to help me. And the churches and the individuals that have been supporting us for these past 10 years as we've been missionaries, we're so honored to be supported by, by so many individuals and churches. But in the same way, these churches and individuals have to be used by God, not in their own abilities, but used by God to say, because I know there's this one little church in Greenville, Missouri, that the little church of only uh, maybe 40 people have a whole wall of missionaries that they support. And they support us faithfully, haven't missed one month of $25 a month. And we were there a couple weeks ago, and with tears in her eyes, she said, Steve, I don't know how we do it. I don't know how we do it, but every time I want to take one of those missionaries down, the Lord says, nope, I'm going to provide. And boom, he provides. They don't do it in their own strength. They're being used by God. And they keep their eyes on him, the provider, not themselves as the source. And you know what? My, my, my daughter, Sophia, she's only 10 years old. But last year, last January, we were in El Salvador. Every two years, um, all the different King's Castle ministries from all over Latin America and some parts of the world come together. Right now, we're in 30 countries. Well, starting this next week, we'll be in 30 countries. We're launching in Chile. King's Castle is launching in Chile this week. So we're excited about that. But we're in 30 countries. And every two years, as many as possible get together, and we have a time of training and just building and growing as a ministry. And so last year, a year and a half ago in January, we were in El Salvador. 
And, and my daughter, Sophia, she was nine years old, and she was at the altar seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit because she had been learning about it as part of our, our children's discipleship program that we have in the ministry. So she's part of that discipleship program and learning about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And during one of the services at this big event that we had, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she was just so excited. And my sister-in-law, who's a missionary in Argentina, happened to be there because she's, with, she's working with Castle down there in Argentina. And so she spoke to Sophia, and she said, Sophia, now that you've been filled, filled God wants to use you. So pray for, to God to have him reveal to you, show you who you're supposed to pray for. Because God wants to use you now, now that you've been filled. And she began to pray, and all of a sudden the Lord revealed this, showed this face, and she saw this face in her mind. She knew exactly who she, she should pray for, but she's a little nine-year-old kid, and the altars were just packed, and so she's like, you know, looking around and starting to kind of feel like, oh, maybe it's not going to work out, and starting to feel a little bit discouraged. But she knew she had this mission from, from God, because she was just so excited, just full of the Holy Spirit. And, and as the altars began to clear all of a sudden, there was a, a couple praying at the altar. And, and I don't know if you guys have that picture, if you can show it, but normally whenever, like, a cool miracle happens, we aren't able to capture that moment because we're in the moment, not like, hey, we're, a miracle's happening, you know. I happened to take this picture because it, after, it was after midnight, and the event had ended, the altars were all cleared, and, and I was outside talking to some other leaders, and I'm like, where are my kids? Um, I know where my two youngest ones are, they're in bed, but where are Andre and Sophia? And I started to like feel like that lostness that I mentioned earlier, like, oh, great, where, you know, where, there's hundreds of people here from all over the world, and where are my kids? And, and I walked up, and I was so proud of them, because they were at the altar praying. So I took this picture, not having any idea of what was happening, but Afterwards, they were like, did you hear what happened? I'm like, what happened? And Sophia said that as the altars were, people were leaving and, and she saw Francisco sitting there. He was the guy she had seen, like God had spoken to her about. He was the guy she knew she had to pray for. So she went over with Andre, my, my son, and then Bella, her cousin, who's there in the orange shirt. And they went over and they asked him if they could pray for him. And he said, I would love that. And they said, well, what can we pray for you about? And he said, well, it's kind of weird, but um, when I was a kid, growing up in El Salvador, we were so poor, we never had shoes the right size for my feet. And so as a kid, I always wore shoes too small, and because of that, my toes are totally deformed. He said his toes just never grew like they were supposed to extend it. They were always just all scrunched up, and he never wore sandals. He never took off his shoes in public because he was so embarrassed because of that. But he said, I'm going as a missionary to Tonga. And in Tonga, people wear sandals. And I, I can't wear sandals with my feet looking like this. So the kids just gathered around him. They began to pray for him. And Sophia said afterwards that as she was praying, she felt like this lightning going through her arms. And he said he felt like his feet were on fire. And after their prayer, they took off his shoes. And his toes, instead of being all scrunched up like that, his toes were straightened out, normalized because of God. And I think there's a picture, I don't know if you guys have that as well, but there's a picture of Francisco who, who's going, he, he's actually in Tonga. That was last January and they were about to go. Now they're there. They've been there for about a year and a half and they're starting King's Castle Ministries in the nation, the island of, of Tonga. And, but the thing is, I share that story because my daughter Sophia, who was nine at the time, is not some great evangelist. Or, you know, a world-renowned missionary or healer or whatever else. She was a kid that God used. And I know Sophia, and I see how many times she fights with Andre, and she's a kid. But she said, you know, God, I'm not going to look at me and my own, you know, giftings and abilities and lack thereof. I know that you're going to use me, so I'm going to be obedient and God can do that, and it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been, but as we make ourselves available to him and we take our eyes off of ourselves and put it on him, he can use us. I just came from Indiana where there was a big children's ministry conference, and, and there during the event they had a big BGMC, which is the, the kids, how kids can be a part of missions by giving to BGMC. There's a big um, banquet to honor the top giving churches in BGMC, and they honored a little 12-year-old kid 
because this kid Carson from Florida um, set the record for the m- most giving ever by a kid. And this little 12-year-old, over the course of his, his childhood, not in one year, but over the course of his childhood, one kid has given over, over $100,000 to missions. He, didn't have, he doesn't have that money. I know his parents. They don't have that money, but he has put himself out doing jobs, doing fundraisers, just getting out there, raising money to give to missions. And if a 12-year-old can give $100,000 to missions because he's not looking at his own, you know, <laughs> source. God can use a, a 9-year-old to heal somebody. He can use a 12-year-old to supply a need. But it's people that take their eyes off of themselves and they put it on him. The great I am. Sent with a seat. The lostness. And sent how God wants to use us and send us. But the third word and thought that I wanted to leave with you was spent. And you might think, well, what does that mean? And as I was reading this passage, as I have read it over the years, this last, you know, part of this passage just kind of pops out like, ooh, what? Because it's how can they believe if they don't hear? How can they hear without being told? How can someone tell without going? And so it's like this whole process that you can follow along, and all of a sudden it's like beautiful feet. What? It's like where do the beautiful feet come from? How does that fit in into this whole process? But this beautiful feet, and it's weird because he says, that is why. So he's like, you know, it, to him it's like, this totally makes sense. But to me it's like, well, so why is it beautiful feet? Like, I, and but Paul says, that is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But it's not because the feet are so beautiful. It's what they represent. It's not that the feet are so pretty. It's that they represent Christ. It's what they represent. And this passage here, he was saying that's why the scripture is because he's referencing Isaiah 52, 7 through 10. And and I'm going to read it for you. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. The watchmen shout and sing with joy, for before their eyes they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song, Let the, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of the nations. All of the ends of the earth will see the victory of God. It's this rejoicing that God reigns. He is victorious. And, that, and these feet that are traveling these mountains, and you, you can just visualize the, the symbol, symbolism of it. These feet, you know, they don't have, like they didn't have back in the day, these steel-toed boots with, you know, waterproof protection and everything else. They might have just had, you know, sandals. But they're traveling through the dirt, through the rocks on the mountains. Their feet are getting torn up by thorns. They might be bleeding, blistering, filthy, dirty. And they show up and here's this like, but they represent the victory of God. They represent that news, the good news that our God reigns. And it doesn't matter what you're going through or what's happening in your life. Our God reigns. He's victorious and there's salvation in him. And that those feet that can be so ugly and disgusting and dirty represent the good news. And the people need to know that. But you know what? Along the way, those feet are spent. They're wasted away. And how much do we need to learn from that? My prayer has been, God, use me, spend me, waste me away for your glory so that people will not see me, but that they will see you. In John 3.30, John the Baptist is there. He's baptizing, and he has a crowd of disciples, and here comes Jesus. And John says in, in, in chapter 3, verse 30, he says, 
He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Another version that says, he must increase, but I must decrease. May he be glorified, but may my life be made less. Because he understood it was all about Jesus. And too many times we're worried about us. And our reputation, our well-being, our safety, our comforts, our, you know, we can go on and on and on. But it's not about us. It's about him. And may we be spent like those dirty, disgusting feet that have traveled the mountains and the rugged terrain to, to bring through, to, to show the goodness of God. And may we be, be spent. You know what? I just think um, of so many different testimonies of how God has, has used people and situations. And I think of, you know, Pastor Pat's testimony, and I heard his testimony in Nicaragua whenever he preached down there of how, you know, the story of his dad and, and was it Joe, the guy that, that, you know, Joe put himself out. He spent himself to make an impact on his dad's life. And because he spent himself, he put himself out. He put himself in an uncomfortable, you know what? He could have just stayed at home that day. Or he could have done anything else. But he put himself out. He was spent. And because of that, he became those beautiful feet that impacted a whole generation, another generation, another generation. And who now, he's your pastor. And now every week you get to get ministered and blessed by Pastor Pat because of one guy that put himself out. And if we would just be spent for him, how God can be glorified. And that's what it's all about, is glorifying the name of Jesus. And I just think of so many different testimonies of how God has, has, has been glorified. And I think of you know, the first miracle that I, I ever experienced when we were doing a, a, a big outreach in El Salvador. And I was an intern. And I didn't speak Spanish at the time. I was a, in, in Bible school. And I'd gone to El Salvador. And we were doing an outreach. And the leader said, you know what? God put on my heart. He just spoke to my heart. They were supposed to give a little box of milk to all the people here in this little community. It was a, it was a garbage dump where people lived in the trash. And I knew how much milk we had. I knew we didn't have enough. And I went to him and I said, Edwin, there's no way. We don't have enough. And he said, Steve, that's going to be okay. God will provide. And I was worried about us and our safety. Because I was thinking, if we only give it to half, the other half are going to revolt and they'll kill us. Or they're going to, you know, storm the bus or whatever. And I was worried about our safety. I was worried about what we'd look like if we said we're going to give it to everybody and then we couldn't. But he said, Lord spoke to me, so I'm going to be obedient. And as the people lined up after the program, and as I began to, you know, I was in the back of the bus, and I had gathered every single little box that there was. And in Nicaragua and El Salvador and Central America, we have this little milk that can go on the shelf and just sit there for months. And I don't know how it works, but it's a wonder. Anyway, that's the kind of milk we had. And I went through the bus, and I knew we had every single box right there. And as we handed it out, about halfway through the line, we ran out of milk. And I jumped off the bus and I said, ya te dije. It was a little bit of Spanish that I know. I already told you. We didn't have enough. And look what happened now. And he said, Steve, that can't be. Go look again because the Lord spoke to my heart. And I jumped back up on the bus. And as God, as my witness, as I moved this tarp, what, what, not, what was not there before was there. And God had supplied a fresh supply of milk, and we handed out that milk. And as everyone had gone through, we had more milk in the bus than what we had to begin with. And I sat there and weeped as a little baby. You know what? We, we weren't Edwin. Praise God. Edwin wasn't concerned about the numbers and the math. He was concerned about being obedient to what the Lord had spoken to him about. And I think, of, you know, when that trip that I mentioned in Puerto Cabezas, when we went to the Mosquito Coast there, we took with us a doctor from Nicaragua, Dr. Mirtila, and we still work with her from time to time. But she took with her some cases of medicine on that trip. And she had the exact records of everything that she was bringing and everything that she was dispensing. That was her job. And she was good at it, keeping records. And after we went there and saw a bunch of people along the river there and came back, she went through her records and just began to weep. And she said, this doesn't make sense. 
it doesn't make sense. It says here that I gave out three times as much medicine than what we brought. But God supplied a need. He saw a need. And as we were being obedient and giving, you know, God wasn't concerned about numbers. He wasn't thinking, oh, that's not enough. You better stop right there. As we were being obedient, God supplied a need. And I just think of last September, we had a trip that went to Boaco and, and Bluefields and remote southeast region of Nicaragua. You can only get there by plane or in the dry season, in the right situations, there might be a little path that gets there. But to get there, you have to get on a little boat, like I mentioned earlier, another kind of boat, but another little boat. And so the team that went, our, our leaders who went, I did not go on that trip. But our leaders who went on that trip came back reporting the, the testimonies and all that God had done. And one of the testimonies was that they brought just a little suitcase, a little carry-on full of little toys to give away to the kids. And as they got there, all of a sudden they realized there's a lot more kids than they had expected. But they thought, you know what? We got to give away what we have. So they began to give away these little toys that they had. And every day the Lord would supply a new supply of toys and every day as they would empty out their suitcase, it just seemed to just continue to grow. The toys they had, they said they were able to give giveaways, toys, to all these little kids all over that whole remote region that never get to receive anything because they were obedient. And God supplied a need. You know, as we spend ourselves for him, he gets glorified. And last summer, I, I just, I think of, of, you know, every, usually, I mean, you guys have come in January, February, throughout the year. Usually during the summer months, we have a huge, you know, influx of teams that come down because they're off for summer break or whatever else. And, and last summer, we had different teams come down, and I would challenge them to just make themselves available to God for him to use and pray for the sick. And, and, and this one team, you know, they were all excited, and, and, and as they got to one community, there was, they, they decided to walk down and invite people to come to the program. And they got to this one house, and there was a man sitting there in his wheelchair. And they said, can you come to the program? Do you have any kids here that want to come to the program? We're doing a program just down the street. And he said, no, I can't. He said, three years ago, the doctors tried to do a surgery on my spine, and they messed up and left me paralyzed. For three years, I've been in this wheelchair. For three years, I haven't gotten out of this wheelchair. I can't walk. He said, there's no kids that live here, it's just me. And they said, well, you know what, if, if you can't come, can we just pray for you right here? So he said, you know, sure, why not? So that team put themselves out and were spent for him. And they gathered around him and they prayed for him. And after they got done praying for him, they, they kind of put their reputation on the line and they said, you know, can you stand up? Did God heal you? And he said, I don't know. And they said, well, why don't you try? So he, he stood up. And he, he was just was like blown away because he was like, I haven't stood up in three years. And they said, can you walk? And he began to walk back and forth in the little patio. And that man who had not walked in three years walked to the program that afternoon. You know what? God still does miracles. And he still wants to do miracles. But I, 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 I heard that testimony, to be honest, from one of our leaders as I was driving to do a devotional with another team that had just gotten to Nicaragua. So as I'm in route to do a devotional, because the team had just gotten there, we were getting ready to launch them out to do ministry the next day, I got that testimony. One of our leaders was just so excited. This is just what happened. She shared the story with me just like I shared it with you. So I get to the little site where we're going to do our, our prayer devotional with the team to encourage them to be used by God. And I shared that testimony and some of them clapped like you did, and some of them were, like, excited. But on the way back, one of the girls on the team began to talk to me. And she said, you know what? Uh, what happens, though, if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed? Doesn't that, like, just, you know, kind of backfire? And then don't you look foolish? And I spoke to her, and I said, you know, and her, all her little friends were kind of gathered. She was, like, a leader, leader of her little group or whatever. And they all looked at me like, yeah, what happens? And I said, you know what? I said, to be honest, that's not up to us. I said, our job is to be obedient. And as we're obedient, he does the rest. Sometimes he heals, sometimes he doesn't. But our job is to be obedient. And I just challenged them, this week be obedient. And that week, the little group of girls, 
they saw a little girl, a little 12-year-old, 13-year-old, something like that, in a wheelchair at a program. And they were like, this is our chance. And so after the program, they went up to her and they said, can we pray for you? And she was like, you know, sure. So those girls, they gathered around her and they began to pray. Lord, heal her, raise her up, you know, do this miracle so that you can be glorified. And those girls were putting themselves out. They were praying and they were crying. They were weeping. And after they got done, they looked at that little girl and they said, can you stand up? And that little girl couldn't stand up. And they were thinking, you know, how, how silly we looked. You know, crying, you know, makeup smeared, you know, just they were just, you know, how foolish they looked. And they started to feel discouraged until they turned around. Because as they turned around, there was this man walking down the street just weeping, this grown man just weeping. And he comes to them and he says, my whole life, I have never wanted to be a Christian I have never wanted to be one of you because I thought you guys were a bunch of phonies. I thought religion was just a scam and Christianity was just a scam and I've never wanted to be one of you. But as I have sat here watching you pray for my daughter and you don't know what we've been through as a family, but the fact that you love her so much and you've been praying for her and you've been crying for her, I want what you have. How do I become a Christian? And he knelt down on the street and gave his life to Christ that afternoon. You know what? That's what it's about. But it's about being put out. And it doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter what happens. Because when the Lord speaks, our only response should be, yes, sir. Not, well, what's going to happen? Or how is it going to happen? Or why? But yes, sir. Yes, Lord. That should be our only response. You know, and I don't, I, um, I, I hesitated sharing this, but I'm going to put myself out. Um, and I don't know if you guys have that last um, that picture, but a couple weeks ago, we were, and I have never shared this publicly, um, but a couple weeks ago, we were driving to just a small little church in Missouri. And as we're driving there that morning on the way to the church, Caleb fell asleep. And, and, um, and I went in and, and I did, I spoke to the Sunday school and be, right before the service, Kim came up to me and, um, she said, Caleb had a dream and he had a dream that he was blowing dandelions with Jesus. But Jesus looked at him and said, this means so much more than you think. And then Caleb was like, or Kim was like, I don't, I don't know what it means, but he had this dream that was just so real, and she shared that with me. But the thing is, that morning on the way to this church service, I was praying, Lord, use me to spread seeds of faith. And may these seeds of faith be blown out onto this church that they may have a seed of faith that grows and they can see miracles themselves and they can see your faithfulness and that you would be glorified. And so as Kim's sharing this with me, that Caleb just had this dream about the dandelions, the Lord spoke to me. He spoke so clearly to my heart and said, the purpose of that dandelion is not just to look pretty, but it's it's to be used, it's to be spent, it's to be... And all that's left is a little stick. And if that dandelion doesn't, isn't spent, and all those seeds go out, that dandelion can't fulfill its purpose. But as the Holy Spirit blows on us, as the Lord blows on us, and we're wasted away, and all if we're just left like a little stick, <laughs> may he be glorified. And that's all that matters is that he is glorified through us. And Caleb went out and he saw those dandelions at that church. And, and Kim, my wife, took a couple pictures of him blowing those dandelions. But it meant so much to me. You know what? Because may we be spent as he blows on us and uses us to fulfill his purpose in our life, not our own purpose. And who cares if we end end up looking foolish like a little stick, a little, you know, nothing on it, not a pretty flower with yellow and everything else, but a little stick. If he uses us to fulfill his purpose and his word goes out and the seeds are planted in other people's lives. 
I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray that God deposits in your heart a seed of faith and that it would be so real, so genuine that you will not leave this morning the same, that you will not walk through this week the same, that God would open your eyes and burden your heart for the lost, that you'll have that desperate feeling like the woman looking for the coin, that scent, that you would realize that it is he who uses us, not because of our giftings and our abilities, but he is the one who sends. And as he sends us, may we be spent, sent, sent, spent. May we be spent for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we glorify you. You are so worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy of all of the praise. Every single one here in Rochester. Yes. Of every single person here in New York. Of every single person here in the United States. You're worthy of all of the praise of every nation, of every land, of every tribe. You're worthy, Lord God, because you are the great I am. You reign and you are victorious. But Lord God, I pray that you would burden our hearts for the lost. May we be uncomfortable for you. That as we see others who do not know you yet, Lord, may we be burdened and not just be so consumed in our own self. And God, I pray that you would use this church, each person individually, and this body as one, that you would use this church for your glory, that as this church and as these people and as we look to you as our source and strength, Lord God, may you use us for your glory. And God, may we just be spent for you. May we just be consumed for you. May we be like those dirty, disgusting feet that have been bruised and battered for your glory so that people will see you, so that they won't see us, but they'll see you. God, we put our lives in your hands. And God, I pray for this church. I pray for Greece Assembly that you would use this church, Lord God. I pray for Pastor Pat and the pastoral team and the leadership team, Lord God, that you would use them, that you would anoint them, that you would empower them to do your will. Lord God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify your name. You are incredible. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank Amen. you, and may, may God bless you.